Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. Coconut oil, for a number of reasons, is not ideal. It's way too alkaline. And I know that we live in this world where the wellness industry has convinced us that you apparently want everything in your body to be alkaline. That's not true. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life podcast. This is your host, Krista Bigler, private practice integrative nutritionist, helping people across the U.S. reverse digestive issues, eczema, and autoimmunity via phone and video consult. To learn more, visit lessstressednutrition.com. Now, on to the show. Okay, so today on The Less Stressed Life, we have Jennifer Fugo. So Jennifer is a clinical nutritionist empowering women who've been failed by conventional medicine to beat chronic skin and unending gut challenges. Because she's also overcome a long history of gut issues and eczema, she has the empathy and insight to help her clients discover the missing pieces and create doable integrative plans. Simply put, she believes that you deserve better, and she launched her new website, Skinterrupt, for this reason, to interrupt the failed conversation about chronic skin issues with helpful alternatives you aren't being told about, which is an amazing resource, by the way. Jennifer is an Amazon bestseller and author and host of the Healthy Skin Show podcast. So I'm excited to be chatting with Jennifer because her and I are kind of like far distant kindred spirits. We work on some of the same things. So this will be a fun conversation. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. I know this is exciting. Yeah. Uh, So let's talk about history because I think that's always where we kind of, that's the fun part, right? Like let's get to know you a little bit better. Um, you and I both had some skin issues, um, and this is kind of, that's what happens to people sometimes, right? That's what you accidentally start helping because you realize that there's such an issue or that, um, the resources for this are not, are not great. So tell us about your story because you've also, I mean, we didn't talk about this here in the beginning, but you also own another website, the gluten-free school. So maybe you want to even tell us, Hey, how that started and how it's kind of morphed. And you've, you know, now you've got a couple of things going on. So you work with gut and skin issues, but you were really the patient first. So tell us a little bit about your story and how it started. Yeah, thank you. Um, So (laughs) it's funny, gluten-free school and how that all came about. Well, basically, I had gut issues from a very young age and stomach problems were normal in my family. (laughs) So running to the bathroom and being in there a long time and and just things making you sick was sort of, I thought it was it was a normal thing to be to get sick from food. And I honestly had no idea 
that food could be making me sick or causing an issue. And my dad is a medical doctor. So, you know, dad didn't pick up on anything. But again, now we know that conventional medicine is not really that present to much of the stuff that is ongoing and chronic. And so to my dad, it just was like, oh yeah, well, this is what happens in our family. Um, I wish we had looked deeper earlier on because I had been struggling with symptoms like chronic headaches and just more round circular rashes on my body earlier in life, like when I was a teenager. Um, but I, it didn't really get bad and the stomach issues didn't get incredibly pronounced until I was probably later in high school into college and then into my early twenties where I literally, we could go to an Italian restaurant and I would run to the bat, like run, I mean, run (laughs) to the bathroom, um, five, six, seven times within the course of 20 minutes because, I mean, I love my pasta, but it just uh, did not love me. And I came to discover that I had a bunch of food sensitivities, including gluten, casein, which is found in all dairy, eggs, uh, specifically chicken eggs, I should say, and um, a bunch of other ones like the cruciferous family and the cashew family. But those weren't quite as traumatic as having to break up with gluten and dairy and eggs, which are make, made up so much of my diet at the time. And I made huge improvements. And then... Years later, I came to discover that um, despite having all of those foods eliminated from my diet, I was in the midst of my master's degree, which is an incredibly stressful experience for those who have not ever done that. Um, And I ended up developing dyshidrotic eczema on my hands. And it was, at first, I had no idea what was happening. And my dad was like, well, just try a steroid cream. And I did, and that would improve it some, but then I thought, you know, maybe I should actually go to the doctors because it would go away and then come back. And every time it would come back, it would get worse and it kept spreading. That was the other thing because it started more on the inside of my fingers and then started to spread up the fingers and then around to the palm and then down the palm. And for those of you who've had, and I'm not sure if you've had a similar issue, but if for anyone who has had issues with eczema or rashes on their hands, like the palm of your hands, it, it really does inhibit so much of a normal life. Not that other rash, that rashes elsewhere don't, but anytime I would go to touch a doorknob, anytime I would go to handle something, it became this huge problem because either what I was touching was incredibly aggravating or just the act of bending my fingers and trying to grasp something became incredibly painful. Um, and I couldn't wash my hands because water burned so badly. It was, I couldn't even get to soap. It was just the water alone that was a problem. And that really became an issue in just like washing myself, washing my hair. Um, the gloves that I would wear, no matter how tight they were, would not keep out the water. So my hands would keep getting wet. And it got to the point where I was so frustrated and so disgusted after just a year of dealing with this that I ended up, um, I used to teach cooking classes and things and I had to stop because my hands looked so disgusting. I don't know how else to put it that way. I was disgusted by them. They were oozing. They were red. I had these awful pustules that would burst open. They, they hurt in the wintertime. It, so it would fluctuate between the summertime symptoms, which were more like hot, boozing, uh, boozing, oozing, mm-hmm. <laughs> redness to an, an incredible itchiness to the wintertime where it was extreme dryness and cracking and just utter pain. And, um, 
I just got to the point where I was either going to throw in the towel because I mean, who on earth, at least this was my fear, who on earth wants to work with somebody who is like got all these health problems and can't figure them out. Um, or I was going to have to I was going to have to do something about it. And I started to, thanks to my husband, I started to look at my problems from the perspective of how you and I, Krista, work with clients and was able to figure out a lot of underlying issues. Stress was obviously one of them. And I have now been completely eczema free for, I would say, at least a year and a half, if not maybe a bit longer, um, with no real worry of a flare at all. I mean, I still have my steroid cream upstairs just in case. Um, and I am still very mindful of how much I expose my hands to water just because it's a, <laughs> it's a personal, uh, a little bit of still a fear because it is very traumatizing to go through this. But I got to the point where I realized after moving through this and just talking about it casually, I started to get a lot of clients that were really interested because I could relate to them. And they knew that I, I, wasn't going to think of them as dirty or disgusting or, or, you know, just being uh, like a whiny baby. I mean, a lot of people have made, been made to feel by their doctors, like they've just got to suck it up or else, you know, this is life, learn how to deal with it, live with it. And that response is really not that lack of empathy is really not helpful for someone that's going through this and just wants to be heard and to be understood that what they're going through is incredibly traumatic. It's incredibly painful. It affects not just their daily life, but also their ability to sleep, their social life, so many things. And um, and that was sort of why I decided to create Skinterrupt and start the Healthy Skin Show. Yeah. People are thinking about it all the time. I think there are several things here I want to go back and touch on. So we didn't actually talk about this before the show started, about the, about this show being kind of about not stress in the, necessarily always mm-hmm. in the typical way we think about stress, but really mm-hmm. because stress is a great synonym for inflammation. And so and that manifests in so many ways. And I think it's interesting. I don't know what you think about this, but I tend to see, well, let me step back one more way. You're right skin issues are so frustrating and because they're external we tend to think sometimes that the solution should feel external right like that's immediately what we're going to go to all the time it's this external problem on my hands I want to put things on my hands or like do whatever I can to try to improve that because there is that whole skin barrier piece etc but I thought it was insightful and it sometimes we're our own um, worst patients right so the whole stress thing like and I think there's a lot of subliminal stress right you're in the middle of your school like so you kind of know you're stressed but because it's such an like a, a a thing that's normal at that moment that sometimes I think we just we don't notice it and I just think it's so interesting how you talked about how this really broke out from that stressful time during because I see dysthydratic or hand eczema being extremely related to stress specifically mm-hmm. so it's kind of bizarre how eczema in different areas manifests in a similar way right like so I think dry scaly eczema can mean something and bright red eczema means something different but on your hands I so frequently see it related to stress like so many people get it before um during and after pregnancy which pregnancy is this wonderful thing but it's a stressful like you're mm-hmm. giving you're, you're making a human so it's a bit stressful on your body right um so I just think it is kind of fascinating can you speak to um, since you know that stress was a big trigger, can you speak to some of the things that physiologically manifested that you found about yourself? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So I will say this. I mean, I wasn't sleeping a whole lot. 
<laughs> I was definitely not optimized in the sleep category um, in that I was staying up very late. I was getting up incredibly early. I was trying my darndest to stay in shape. So I was pushing myself at the gym regardless of whether I really had it in me to do it or not because I just, it was something that you got to do. It's sort of like that concept of like, you got to have it all. You got to like make it all happen. And in a certain, to a certain degree, there comes a point where you're just like, something's got to give here in this entire equation. And what I began to do foolishly is that I let my sleep go. I let some of my nutrition go. So yeah, I was gluten, dairy, egg free. I'd been that way for years. So that wasn't the issue, but I didn't have time to cook. So I would start buying things that were kind of like pre-cooked at the grocery store in the freezer aisle and was, you know, we were eating more at restaurants and eating out. So my nutrition wasn't nearly as good as it would have been had I been cooking at home. Um, I had a ton of blood sugar problems that started the summer that the, the eczema issue began um, to the point where in the afternoons around two o'clock, I would become so like groggy and drowsy that I would have to go lay down for two hours. I did not feel well. I had to get, um, I, I actually went to the doctors because I felt so unwell and my hemoglobin A1C, which for those of you who aren't familiar with that is a marker of your blood sugar regulation, an average basically over the last three to four month period. So it's a little bit more, it tells a little bit more information or quite a bit more information than say just going and getting like your glucose taken first thing in the morning fasted. And that had gotten to the point where it was like basically one tick under pre-diabetic, which made me very nervous because it was a significant jump from where it was the year before. And um, I started working on also thinking about like, what do I need to let go of? Because I was trying to run a business. I was helping my parents as well with their business. Um, I was... Uh, volunteering. <laughs> and I was in school full time, three semesters a year, like it was, we basically have two to three week breaks in between the the semesters. And it was a lot of very hard work. So, you know, I, I was financially stressed, I was physically stressed, I was emotionally stressed on all levels, there was stress. And I did not do very well in managing that. Plus, you know, I, I do have in a sense, and I learned this actually from interviewing, um, someone who's on the healthy skin show, uh, named Dr. Keisha Ewers. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work, but you know, trauma also plays a big role in how things can manifest in our lives. And there's some really interesting studies that have looked at how past traumas, not just big things. Like I lived in New York city when nine 11 happened. That was very traumatic. That was my worst nightmare to have happened to me at such a young age. Um, but then also to smaller traumas that happened to us throughout our lives. Um, you know, being teased as a young child and a teenager and constantly picked on to all the little traumas that I was exposing myself to through throughout the day of, you know, again, not focusing on my sleep, not focusing on my nutrition, um, putting myself in a position where I would argue, you know, pointlessly with people on Facebook over politics or whatever. A lot of that is unnecessary. And, and it, it gave me the opportunity to say, like, I need to do a hard stop and clean things up from all different fronts and decide what has to actually go 
What can I let go of or put on hold? And what do I just need to cut out of my life entirely? Um, and then where do I need to put more energy toward? You know, like obviously if you've only got, if you've got like a pie, you really, there is a finite amount of energy and stress that your body can deal with. I, do, I don't think stress is a bad thing. I think we do need stress in our life. There, it's very clear. But a lot of times we just, we're giving away so much of what our body can handle stress-wise to things that don't really matter. Engaging in negative stuff and the pol- political nonsense on Facebook is, is not really helpful. So I let that go. I actually stopped watching the news entirely because I needed to be in a place where I just you know, as much as I want to know what's going on in the world, I can't deal with that. And I put that more into making sure that I had time to actually cook myself some food and sit down and eat. Um, I had to let go of engagements with volunteering because I, you know, unfortunately, as much as I love giving to other people, if I can't take care of myself, I really ultimately can't take care of others. And so I had to let that go as well. I also had to be a lot clearer on my, my, um, my guidelines and or my my little rules and boundaries around when I would get to bed, um, and I also started taking more supplements that were geared toward like metabolic stability. That way, I was able to better manage my blood sugar. That helped tremendously as well. And I do think you know too to the stress point, blood sugar and cortisol balance are connected. And so it's not a a huge shocker that my blood sugar was kind of all over the place, likely from not eating well and the amount of stress that I was under. But my body, I think on all fronts was telling me that stress was a huge problem. And this was a great opportunity. This was was the opportunity to stop and and really take care of me. Yeah, we say this here, probably sometimes I kind of start to feel like a broken record, but about the whole, this is really this external sign, no matter what the sign is for people mm-hmm. in this case, eczema or skin rash is really your body kind of screaming on the outside, please take care of me on the inside, because I'm trying to manifest and show you something. Um, so actually, I want to touch a little bit more on the blood sugar imbalance, because depending on what kind of person or health professional I'm talking to, I sometimes I'll say, oh, and of course, blood sugar imbalances. And then I stop and say, but not like what you think, not, you know, prediabetes or X, Y, Z, but this manifests so many people have subclinical blood sugar imbalances so commonly because of, well, actually, I mean, I think the hormone and the blood sugar imbalances probably come before the hormone imbalances most of the time. But let's talk about a little bit more about what you feel like you said, you needed to take a nap in the afternoon did you feel hangry and what were some of the like I would feel shaky right I had a lifelong you know my mom was had gestational diabetes when when I was um in her womb right and so actually I think that affected me for many years until I corrected it essentially um so I'm kind of curious if you I think people don't realize that they've got some blood sugar imbalances and it really like you said it stems with kind of how balanced your diet is right kind of a big a big term there right and you said you had to take the naps and you did have it assessed with um with some blood markers but just some other common symptoms that you see on the outside now that you look back and say oh that was my blood sugar being imbalanced was there any other one that really stick out to you? uh, Because I think sometimes people just aren't aware of this. Absolutely. Um, I will say that I had also started to put on weight that I couldn't figure out what was going on. Um, So that was a huge piece and right around the middle. So yes, that is always connected. You know, I was like, where where exactly are you gaining that that weight? Oh, Mm -hmm. in the belly region? Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so I definitely had the hangry piece. I really had issues with not being able 
Like right now, I practice intermittent fasting. I'm great with it. I don't. I could have breakfast. I could not have breakfast. Um, I couldn't do that then. Had to eat first thing. Had to eat at very regular intervals, or else I felt horrendous. I couldn't think straight. And I am just to be clear on the napping thing. I am not a napper. I never have been. And in this day and age now, I am still not a napper. So that was a real deviation from what was normal for me. And and I don't consider a nap laying down for two hours. <laughs> that is crashing at that point because I couldn't, 20 minutes, I felt like I was drugged and gr- still just feeling horrendous. And even when I would try and get up and be like, no, 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 I got to push through this. I felt woozy. I felt weak. Like my head was swimming. I just really did not feel well. Um, so I knew that after a, a, probably about a month of dealing with it and trying to like push my way through it, that there was this was a mountain that I really needed some extra help with. And I don't know why it took me that long, but that's how long it took me, I guess. In the, you know, you're busy. You you deprioritize yourself. That's sort of what happens. Um, but yeah, I just I really really did not feel well, um, and I. I got to the point where I really had to also back burner exercise because I noticed when I would go to the gym, my level of recovery was just so much. I just really could not um, deal with a whole lot of like cardio. Um, I felt weaker. Like I was, even though I was doing the same things, I I felt weak when I went and I really didn't feel well when I left. So, um, and I've also, I do have a history of having quote unquote, adrenal fatigue, which I had back in 2019 or 2009, excuse me, it's 2019. Now it's 2009. So 10 years ago. And I know what that feels like. And so I am a lot more mindful now of my threshold for um, more intense workouts and things like that. Um, But generally speaking, as I said, a lot of the symptoms I had just were really abnormal. And you know, it is quite, it's so easy to go to your doctor and be like, Hey, listen, these are all the symptoms I'm having. Can you run? And like the hemoglobin A1C was really, that was really shocking for me. Cause that gives you more information than just getting the fasting glucose, which a lot of people go off of. And their doctor's like, Oh, you're fine. Mm-hmm. You look at that hemoglobin A1C and you're like, Oh, right. this is not. Right. <laughs> and then you look at like the plasma insulin and some of the other markers and you're like, Oh, right. there's some problems here. Right. So, and I'll just share for the audience. So just so we're all on the same page, there's a lot of health professionals here, but like a fasting glucose is a snapshot in time and a hemoglobin A1C is sort of looking at more of a time lapse over the last three months, essentially. Um, And then there's, of course, some other nutrients and and patterns that you can see kind of depending on what kind, but these are basic tests that any doctor does kind of routinely. And so yeah, there's some other other things that kind of point to blood sugar imbalances, or you're just the girl that like isn't going to be caught without a snack because like in your bag because you don't want to do like the hanger. I mean, so just pointing like those things become normal to us, but we I, I think it's so important to have these conversations aloud because actually they're not normal, and it's no. a lot nicer when you're not controlled by that feeling of I don't want to be without something for a while because I know I'm going to kind of have a crash, so empathize a lot. And actually, to your point about the exercise, I see that, you know, that's a, a big red flag when someone's 
got a, uh, an issue that they're dealing with and it's getting worse and they're trying to work out pretty hard, usually you don't have the resources for recovery, right? You just don't no. have the resources. So in order to heal, you have to take a break from that hard stuff and do restorative. And, and I remember when I was healing and it really sucked because no one wants a really crappy skin rash. I had a plan and a self-care day monthly on purpose to go do these nice restorative things because you aren't going to do them otherwise, right? Like life is going to get in the way always. And to your point. Absolutely. And the other thing also that I'll mention is a lot of people think that it takes a lot in order to address the level of stress that they're under. And I, and this is the one thing that clients always avoid doing, but it's so effective and it's so simple is you literally can sit and do like a very simple, also AKA free (laughs) breathing exercise for two minutes if you can tolerate it for five minutes, most people think two minutes is a long time. But I think once you get there and you see how relaxed you are, you're more likely to stay and continue that exercise for a bit longer. But taking these breaks out for yourself can be so powerful. And I've what I would also do is if I woke up in the morning and I felt really um, just really not well, very edgy. Um, very nervous about a lot of things, my mind's racing, I would just go on YouTube and look and just search for something like, um, like uh, peaceful meditation, (laughs) or guided meditation. And there's a lot of free resources that you could just sit there, close your eyes, follow what they're doing, and either participate in that or do your own breathing exercise, which is so simple and easy, and I actually teach them to clients. And Breathing, what people don't realize is that the rate of breath and the depth of breath is, to net, is, is tied to how stressed you are and how your body perceives how stressed it is in that particular moment. I mean, think about it. If you're being chased by a tiger, you're not going to have this long, calm breath. You're going to have this very short Um, tinier breath where the breath is concentrated in the upper region of the lungs. And if you're able to slow down, even if it's just for two minutes and have a really intense um, breath where you can get the breath fully into the lungs, even not that you physically can draw it into your abdomen, but there are, you know, belly breathing exercises, for example, where you can feel the breath as you inhale, pull it into the navel, pressing it forward, and then exhale, drawing the navel back toward the spine, where those breaths signal to your brain, you're okay. And so it doesn't have to be like, I've got to even just schedule a day, you could just take two minute breaks out of your day for you, that little oasis in time. And even that alone can be very, very helpful. And I think regardless of whether your blood sugar is all over the place, if you have skin rashes or gut issues or anything, and stress is a trigger, breathing exercises can be such an amazing resource. And unfortunately, I realize we can't encapsulate it and put it into a pill. But if you just set your alarm on your cell phone, you know, every day for whatever time you want to have your daily little oasis, that can be a really helpful, valuable tool for you on your journey. Absolutely. So Jennifer, we know that eczema and skin issues are really rampant, right? In kids, it's 10 to 20% in adults. It's not that common, but it's, I mean, it would be pretty, you'd be hard pressed to, to not know someone that's got some kind of eczema or skin rash. Why do you think that this is becoming so rampant? Why do you think our current 
model, the way we're dealing with this in medicine is not working, um, what are some of the other hidden root causes that are getting missed that we're just completely, completely overlooking um, that's allowing this to kind of spiral out of control? I think one of the main problems as far as conventional dermatology, and I hate to point the finger at doctors and say you're doing a bad job, but I think what I can say is, hey, docs, you could do a better job. And it, I recognize, too, that part of this and what I'm going to say deviates from the standard of care. And that is a problem that has to be addressed within dermatology itself. However, there's also a lot of money in dermatology. Um, a recent article came out that where they believe that Dupixent, the um, biologic drug that's specifically for atopic dermatitis, is going to be one of the biggest blockbuster drugs ever, topping multiple billion dollar points. I think at this point worldwide, it's made something close to $900 million. So they see that, I mean, why would you want to cure somebody if you're going to make that much money off of a drug? There is no incentive. Is it, there's no incentive for a drug company and the way our medical system is just set up around medicating people to manage symptoms. There's, there's, no, there's no point to curing somebody or helping them find an actual resolution to their symptoms. And so there's that problem. Number two, the other issue is that you're not seeing the education and the research trickle down that it sh- that should be, that's out there, that's easily accessible for all of us for free on PubMed. And that, and that's not including all the information that isn't on PubMed, and, uh, because there are the research and things like that that can be on other directories that you may have to pay for and whatnot to access. But there's a lot of research being done about the microbiomes and how they connect to one another, specifically the gut and the skin microbiome. There was, there's an interesting doctor whom I've had on the Healthy Skin Show, Dr. Leonard Weinstock, and he's a gastroenterologist who's had a crazy mind-blowing study about the connection between SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth, and rosacea on the skin, as well as ocular rosacea that affects the eyes. Typically people, at least from my understanding, ocular rosacea may show up first before the rosacea across the face. But, um, you know, he is using a SIBO protocol to eliminate rosacea. Mm -hmm. And, you know, why is that? why, Why are people who have rosacea never hearing about that? That, that's amazing. And not and, and in a good and a sad way, it's, it's kind of like a, a good and bad thing. But the fact that we know that there could be a really distinct big connection between what's happening in your gut and what's happening on your skin. And yet that's not being discussed. And when clients of mine go back to their dermatologists and ask for pretty straightforward labs just to take a look at what's going on underneath the surface because nutrient deficiencies can certainly play a role. Um, Liver detoxification issues can play a role. Hormonal imbalances. I can't even tell you how many times dermatologists have said to them, I don't run labs. You'll have to go back to your primary care doctor and ask for that. I'm like, wait, what happened? I thought you went to medical school. What do you mean you can't run labs? You don't run labs. What does that mean? So there's a huge disservice being done by that community that in essence, like they don't want to, they don't want to touch you that they don't want to look at you unless half the time, unfortunately, it sounds like most of these doctors want to go toward the like Botox and other things that are more cosmetic because they make more money and are maybe potentially reimbursed at a higher rate. Um, These types of conditions that are rash based are managed. They're chronic. 
And that's all that is ever going to happen unless we as a community and as patients demand better. And so um, one of the reasons I do think that this is occurring, aside from the, the, the reasons I just mentioned, is also there's an increase in an obsession, an obsession actually, in cleanliness and way too much cleanliness. I mean, a lot of people will ask me, well, um, what's the best uh, non-drying? I have, you know, rashes. What's the best non-drying body wash that I should use in the shower? And I'm like, how, how many times a day or, or how many times a week are you showering? And they're like, what does that have to do with it? I'm like, well, how many times a week are you actually showering? You're showering every day? Well, yeah. You're supposed to shower every day. I'm like, no, you're not. You're not supposed to shower every, every day. And they're like, well, I do. And I soap up. And I'm like, why are you soaping up your entire body? Well, you're supposed to do that. I'm dirty. I got to get the, you know, you got to kill the bacteria. I'm like, no, <laughs> it's too much. I know that I'm not a dermatologist. I know that I don't have any training in that, but I've also interviewed so many people who are experts in this area and the excessive amount that we are desanitizing, not just our bodies, but our environments with very harsh chemicals. I mean, that's a whole aside of the harshness of the chemicals that we use in our homes to, to, to sanitize things. But we're also eliminating the natural bacteria, bacterial environments within our homes, within our cars, on our clothes, we're do everywhere. We want everything to be sterile and sanitized. And it's very sad that this plays such a huge role in the microbiomes that then exist on and in our bodies. And so um, I think that is a huge piece to it that that all of this plays into stress for sure. But um, you have to be mindful of the fact that there is a huge, almost like a rainforest of bacteria that lives on your skin, that lives in your gut. And if you're not able to truly take care of that and know that they are all communicating with one another, this is, they are smarter than I think we are able to comprehend at this point because there's so much amazing research being done and we don't fully understand how this all interplays with one another. But what I can gather from all the research and all the people that I have interviewed is that the microbiomes are so intelligent in a way that we don't fully understand and hopefully we will someday um but it's it's bigger than just what you put on your skin it's bigger than just what's the best moisturizer or um, how powerful is that topical steroid or the antibiotic cream you're going to use you have to look outside of just what's going on in your skin because there's so many other pieces underneath that can be causing the issue mm-hmm Totally. I think this is a good segue to talk about coconut oil because I feel like you're kind of an advocate for saying, hey, don't be using so much coconut oil on your skin. Um, tell us tell us about that because that's like a common, it's a really common thing. And in fact, there is a bit of dissenting information about that out there in general about like, do this for your skin. Uh, no, don't do that for your skin. So uh, let's talk about coconut oil. Well, to be fair, I was actually, I actually thought that coconut oil was good for your skin. I did start in that spot and I was stopped um, by Karan Krishnan, actually. <laughs> he was the one that was like, don't put, don't, don't use coconut oil. And I was like, what? He's like, don't use coconut oil on your skin. And he was the first person to actually open my eyes. Um, for those of you who don't know Karan, he's really in brilliant scientist. Um, and he, uh, I guess is he the, he's the founder or the, I'm not sure what his position is at microbiomes labs, but, um, he is just such a brilliant person. And he was like, look, we've done some studies and looked at how effective 
coconut oil is as far as being antimicrobial and it's pretty intense. And so if you're applying an agent that if you're already struggling with having a dysbiotic state on the skin, this is not the thing that you want to use. You should look more toward olive oil and there's other, you know, oils as well, but his, his suggestion was mostly olive oil. And so I started to dig cause it really, it really struck me because I'm like every place I would read all these big wellness blogs all talked about using coconut oil. Coconut oil is like this like panacea. It'll cure everything apparently. And um, as I began to ask more and more questions, the, there were people that were like kind of afraid to say anything. Some people were like, oh yeah, I've been saying coconut oil is not the best thing for your skin for a long time. Nobody wants to hear it. And I was like, all right, well then I'm going to make a thing out of this because, you know, it's really a shame. A lot of people, since I wrote this article on um, Skin Interrupt, which, uh, you know, hopefully we can share maybe if people want to go and read the conversation, have all admitted to me, some are nervous and uncomfortable, but they're like, wow, I'm really glad you're saying this. But then others have publicly said, I'm thank God for you sharing this because coconut oil was actually making my skin and my rashes so much worse. And, um, and that has been more and more and more feedback. So if you're, if your skin is fine, coconut oil and coconut oil in products may be completely fine for you. But if you have rashes or you're really struggling with any type of uh, dysbiotic state, so maybe you have dandruff or you've got, um, tinea versicolor or something like that, where you're struggling with like the yeast component on your skin, or you've got candida that's growing on the skin, um, which I have had some clients who have struggled with that. Coconut oil, for a number of reasons, is not ideal. It's way too alkaline. And I know that we live in this world where the wellness industry has convinced us that you apparently want everything in your body to be alkaline. That's not true. Your skin should actually be a bit more on the acidic side, right around the pH of 4.5. And coconut oil is just much too alkaline, to be honest with you. Um, and that is a, a big, big problem. And so if you're alkalizing your skin, that's not good because that means that you're now shifting the environment to be more favorable to organisms that shouldn't really be there. So coconut oil, just so everybody knows, has a pH of like somewhere between seven to eight. And so, you know, that's a pretty big jump from 4.5. And on top of it, it's a very saturated fat, which, you know, is fine for certain, <laughs> for certain things. But a lot of people also notice that it feels just way too heavy on their skin. It doesn't absorb well. Um, and it also can make your skin feel very hot, which if you already have rash skin, you don't want it to feel hot because that's typically one of the symptoms. They'll say, oh, my skin just feels so hot and red. Um, and so it's not great for helping us to regulate our temperature. It can also like trap in toxins and things like that. So that's not good either. Um, and last but not least, that the antimicrobial piece can't be ignored. Um, and as a result of that, it's just not helpful when you're already struggling to have a healthy microbiome. If you've got you know, issues with staph or too much um, fungal organisms or any number of things, there are so many other oils that can be better like jojoba. Um, I like sesame seed in the winter time. Um, believe it or not, sunflower seed oil can be great. Um, avocado oil can be a good option. Ov olive can be a great option. There's so many other options out there. I know that coconut oil is super cheap and we figure we can use it for everything, but 
just do yourself a favor and pick something else. And you, you, you will be amazed. I had one client recently who actually came to me because her face was so swollen and broken out with rashes. And she had started, because she read online, using coconut oil on her rashes. And it got worse and worse to the point where her eyes almost got so inflamed, like the lids and everything were so puffy that she's like, I could almost not open my eyes anymore. And somehow I came across this article you wrote and I stopped using the coconut oil because I got so nervous about it. And within a week, she had such a huge improvement in her facial area that she was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that this was doing this much damage and causing so like almost like a, an allergic response to the coconut oil itself. Um, but she's not the only one. Yeah, that's a sad story. It really goes back to perturbation of the microbiome. So a couple things. You mentioned Karan Krishnan, who's this brilliant microbiologist. His episode on this podcast is actually the most popular episode. I believe it's 23, Forget Everything You Know About Probiotics. So go listen to that if you'd like. But this coconut oil discussion is really if we zoom way out, this is about the issue with long-term antimicrobials. And so you can't really be doing antimicrobials in general long term because you can't just kill all grass and weeds and then expect that weeds aren't going to grow back per se. So like there is this whole uh, process. Um, so anyway, I just want to mention like you can't be on long term antimicrobials and sometimes people will be out here kind of DIYing their situation and doing even internal antimicrobials and you can't just do that forever because you're still kind of basically eradicating the whole playing field. So even to like go outside of coconut oil, but I have a lot of empathy for your client there because I had the whole eye eczema. And that is, I mean, this is where it's pretty hard to think about anything else when that's going on. So um, that's a good story. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. I think a lot of people don't realize that this is, this is what actually happens to people in real life. Like the coconut oil thing has been one of the most eye-opening things I didn't, you know, now that I think back when I, I used to put coconut oil on my hands and I never felt like it actually improved my rashes at all, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I kept reading online that it was so good for everything. So, um, I'm really glad now in hindsight that I was able to get past my eczema, but I want to spread the word to give people options. I think that's the most important thing that we're not being given at least from your dermatologist, unfortunately, um, I want people to have options and, and to make the choice that's most in alignment with their particular health values, because what I might choose could be entirely different from what someone else would. And it doesn't make their decision any better or worse than mine. It's just a personal journey. And um, that's when it been one of my biggest things is to be very non-dogmatic and to give people the opportunity to be fully informed so that they can make that choice. Because what I what I don't like is that my choices were always based on what I didn't realize at the time was incredibly limited information. So, of course, I felt very frustrated. Of course, I felt stuck. Of course, I felt like what else could there possibly what else could possibly be wrong? I thought somebody put the maloika on me. And I was being cursed by God because I did something wrong at some point, but I just don't know what and I don't know how to make it stop. And um, that's really my goal is to bring the awareness that there are so many other options out there. We just as a community need to become more open minded to looking in other parts of the body. So you have to look beyond just the skin. And you also and I say this with love to all my gut people, you got to look beyond just food sensitivities, because you can't just go on a really crazy restrictive elimination diet and assume that's going to fix your skin either. Mm -hmm. Because unfortunately, 
pretty much all of my clients have been on very restrictive diets and they have seen almost no improvement. So um, the other reason is food sensitivities are they're a, they're a symptom. They're not a root cause. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I just want to encourage people before you think of going down that route of just, I'm going to eliminate all these foods and I'm going to do what somebody else did to get better. Our journeys are unique in many respects and you can't just always rely or blame food as the reason for whatever's going wrong, unfortunately. Right. Because the, yeah, like you said, sometimes that's because of the dysbiosis or something else. Mm -hmm. uh, so let me kind of summarize with a couple of things um, about kind of rebuilding the skin, et cetera. Because when we have a skin issue, we think we want to have this fixed immediately, right? Like that would be ideal if this could have been fixed last week. But the unfortunate thing, and this is why it's tricky to do things kind of quote unquote the right way. I think there's more than one way to do everything. But you kind of talk about how rebuilding the skin is like taking the scenic route. Uh, what do you mean by that? <laughs> Basically that if you want to take the highway route of getting better tomorrow, you're going to take the steroids. You're going to take hopefully something like, um, like a biologic drug that will get you there. Hopefully it may not though. Um, and what I've discovered is that in addressing your skin through all these other options, you have to consider that there are other things that actually have more importance and must be resolved first before your skin's going to get better. And those things take time. Um, what's fascinating is that I, my, my clinical practice is 50% chronic gut problems and 50% chronic skin problems. And I have no, like, I'm not putting this on anyone initially. I'm only just listening to what's happened to them, their story, their, you know, all of their information from their labs and everything. And what is pretty wild is that 95% of the clients with these chronic skin issues, even the ones who have no gut symptoms whatsoever, all have underlying gut problems. Mm -hmm. And so whether that is true across the board or not for every single case, I have no idea because I only have experience with whom I've worked with. But I would like for people to be aware that if you have a gut problem, you've got to address the gut problem before the skin problem can improve. If you've got a thyroid problem, you're going to have to get the thyroid back in balance. If you've also got a liver detoxification challenge, you're going to also have to make sure to support that. It's not going to get better tomorrow. Taking one supplement is not going to fix everything. If it did, that'd be amazing, and I'd be so happy for you. But I think what has happened is we've, we've, we've had so many promises thrown at us that, oh, take this supplement or, oh, do this diet that you see people beginning to really lose hope. And it's unfair. I mean, I just can say from being a patient, it's really unfair when people just say, oh, do this, you'll get better. That's, mm -hmm. That is not managing someone's expectations. So your expectation should be that in taking the scenic route, in, in saying, okay, I wanna find the root cause or causes that underlie my issue, I may have to embrace this as a journey. It may take months. Depending on how long I've had this, it may take a year. It just, just depends. I have one client that she came to me with chronic candida rashes all over her body. And what I didn't know when we had started working together until we began to dig was that she had had chronic constipation since she was a little girl. Like to the point where they had to do, use castor oil and all sorts of things to get her to go to the bathroom. And she's now in her 70s. It took, and she was taking a lot of laxatives every single day just to go to the bathroom. 
it took us close to nine months to get her body off of those laxatives. It takes time. You cannot just change one little thing and expect that your body's going to react in the way that you want it to. Sometimes your body revolts against you in ways that you didn't expect. And you just have to be there for the journey and say, okay, I'm going to be your body with you in the trenches figuring this out and I'm going to support you the best way that I can. And when you tell me this is too much or this is, I can go faster, I'm going to listen to that and I'm going to pay attention to it without judgment. Um, but I think it's most important to just be honest that unfortunately for most people, the skin, the journey when they've got skin rashes everywhere can be longer and you should not expect perfection in two weeks or a month. If it does, if that happens for you, that's wonderful. But unfortunately, that's not been the norm. And sometimes when you change one thing, it does have a ripple effect. It can improve many other things, but it can also set some something else back. And you just have to be present to whatever that is. And you have to be communicating. If you're working with a practitioner, constantly communicating with them what's going on, um, not blowing symptoms off or any signs or anything like that. And just being, I don't know what it, how to say it other than being present to your body and being okay with the fact that this journey may take you to places that you didn't anticipate. I mean, I, my clients are, we, you know, I have to give them a lot of credit. They are brave. They are incredibly amazing. Most of them are women and they're very determined. And they're like, you know what? I'm, I'm willing to see this through to the end because ultimately this is about the long-term health of my body. And I know that at the end of the day, this is really my body's way of saying, I need to listen. I need to tune in. And so that's what, that's what we do. Yeah. I couldn't agree with this more. You had said that if you are going to fix this the right way, then your expectation, I think that your expectation can be so much more than just your skin getting better. The expectation can mm -hmm. be that other things that you didn't point to as the big issues, right? So she'd already lived, you're the client that's 70 that has already lived with constipation issues. I can't tell you how often it comes up where people forget to mention that. Or I find that a little bit later and it's like, hey, we have to fix this. Otherwise, your yeah. your bowel or your body's going to say, hey, I can't get rid of this waste right now. And the skin says, hey, I'm the next biggest. I'm the biggest organ. Mm -hmm. I can take care of that for you. I've got this, you know. And so just being kind of aware of like if you are addressing root causes of things, you should feel incredibly bit like your whole body should be amazingly better. It's just that sometimes you know, sometimes presentation on the skin is maybe the last thing to fall, right? It's the straw that breaks mm -hmm. the camel's back or something like that. This is a, uh, I say this a lot and I probably sound a little bit like a broken record. We want to move you along with realistic expectations, but not complacency, mm -hmm. right? So you don't exactly. want to be, you're not stuck where you are. Like we got to make these small, like you have to be realistic. It should take about this length of time. But if you had this issue for 50 years, it might take a little bit longer. So that's just being realistic, but not being complacent. You can continue to always move forward most of the time instead of moving backwards. If you are kind of, if you're using all the tools in the toolbox, so Absolutely. And, and sometimes, to be fair, sometimes things do happen beyond your control. I had one client that was doing great. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, she ended up with a staph infection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's life. Sometimes you take three steps forward to take two steps back to uh, it's weird. Uh, progress does not always in, mean it's going to be a straight line. And so we have to be open to that. Um, and to the lessons and the just you just have to be present to that. You have to be okay with it. You have to know that not everything is going to be 100%, um, 
you know, moving in the forward direction. Sometimes you have to go a little backwards to figure out how to go forward. And that's okay. My, like I would have flares for six months. I did my own protocol for my hands. Six months, I still had flares. I had no idea if what I was doing was working. I don't know why on earth I kept doing it. I just kept listening. And I was like, I'm on the right track. I feel like if I'm listening to myself, I'm on the right track. Despite all of this, I'm on the right track. And I was, but it took six months for the flares to stop. And, um, I'm really glad because I was able to nourish my body in a way that it really needed and address some of these other underlying issues. But it, had I not, had I, had I just thrown in the towel with that first flare or the second flare or the third flare, or the fourth flare, however many there were, I would not be here today. We would not be having this conversation. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't ever consider other options, but in many respects, I think sometimes we give up too soon with things and we're, we have to be, we have to have patience. Conventional medicine and medication, pharmaceutical drugs operate much differently than say, if you decide to go the scenic route and deal with, do with supplements and figure out root causes and, you know, do your breathing exercise every day, those things take time. It took time for this to happen. It also takes time for it to work itself back out of your system and, mm -hmm. and rebalance. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, one question everyone gets is, what's your gut reaction if you want to leave people with one sentiment today um, that they can take with them and use today? Or like, what's the, what's the, what's the ending feeling you want to leave people with? I would say for anybody listening to this that you are really not alone, no matter how alone you might feel in that moment. Um, and if you feel like it is hopeless, hopeless on this journey for addressing your skin rashes and, and trying to get some normalcy back in your life, it is not. You need to reach out to people around you and reconnect and know that people do care about you because there can be a really there's a really high rate of depression, anxiety, and um, even suicide in people who are dealing and struggling with this on a daily basis. And there is a community out there that, you know, can embrace you. There are a lot of communities. So reach out and talk to people. Don't feel alone. Don't feel like there is nothing else and that because you tried these drugs or you have this horrible experience with this dermatologist or that, that that somehow should be your end. That's your end point. And you just that's it. You're stuck. You're cursed for the rest of your life. You're really not. Um, there are other options and just keep an open mind, reach out for help, um, and find a community that you feel understands you and can empathize with you and support you. Um, and don't be afraid to, to go talk to somebody if you are really feeling down and out and, um, you know, just know that there's a, there's a big component to that. And I always want to make sure that every conversation I have with, about this is left being aware that, the mental health piece, like staying on track and, and being there for yourself, like this can get really hard and know that there are people out there that understand you. We've been there. We gotcha. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that what all the work that I'm doing will, will help to give people the options that they didn't realize they even had. So. Yeah. Jennifer, where can people find you online? They can find me at skinterrupt.com. So it's sort of like the word skin and interrupt match mashed together. Um, you can also find me at the healthy skin show, which is on iTunes, Stitcher, um, bunch of different podcasting platforms. And I'm also on Instagram. That's probably one of the best places to connect with me. Um, and so you can find me at G free school. 
I talk about skin, gut, food, all sorts of stuff. Um, those are those are the best spots. Or jenniferfugo.com is another good good place as well. Okay, great. Jennifer, thanks so much for sharing your story, some pearls about clients and uh, dispelling the coconut oil myths. Uh, we're happy to have you and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stress Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stress Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 